Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. We've been going through the book of Daniel for a few weeks now. Daniel there, which is a conviction and a culture of compromise. And uh, we're seeing plenty of good stuff. And that reading that uh, Frankie gave us before is another um, great story. And we're going to follow that on this morning. And uh, you might have um, particularly seen that writing on the wall there uh, thing. Um, did you, have, you, have you ever heard that saying before? The writing is on the wall for that person. Or you might have heard it for that coach of a football team. I think the writing's on the wall for that coach now. Or the writing's on the wall for that company. Do you know what that means? Generally means something bad's about to happen. The writing's on the wall like it's going to happen. Well, that saying originates from Daniel chapter 5. People use that saying and don't really realise actually the quoting part of the Bible there. And for King Belshazzar, it was a human hand wrote on the wall, and really what it was was God's imminent judgment upon this king. So we're going to pick up that today as we think about this writing on the wall here, as we consider God as our perfect judge, the perfect judge of all the earth, including King Belshazzar, for all of his arrogance towards the Lord, which we'll see this as we unpack Daniel chapter 5 as he opens this up for us. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to continue on where Frankie read so well, that long passage to verse 23. We're going to pick it up from verse 24 and read to the end. And then we're going to cover this, uh, this chapter, today, this great narrative here uh, out of the Bible. So verse 24. Uh, then from his presence, the hand was sent. So this is um, Daniel now talking to King Belshazzar. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel and pasin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can gather together this morning as your people. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is eternal, that's living and it's active. We ask and pray now that Holy Spirit, as we just consider what's taking place here in Daniel chapter 5, that you'll open up our eyes to see God as the glorious judge of all the earth, executing his justice perfectly, justly, wisely, correctly. And Lord, I pray that that would uh, put within us a real desire to live for your glory and for your honour. And Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray today, God, you would open their eyes up to the glorious Saviour they are, that you have saved us ultimately from this judgment if we put our trust in you. Help us today, we pray. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we do. We pick up this story here in Daniel chapter 5, which is a ripping story of humanity's pride and arrogance that we see in King Belshazzar. But it's also a story here of God's justice and judgment as the Lord of the universe. 
A bit of background again so we know where we are with Daniel. Israel or Judah is in exile after rejecting the Lord as their creator and abandoning his ways as right and good and just. They've turned their back on God centuries before this over a long period of time and then what God has done is warned them numbers of times through the prophets, come back to me, come back to me, but they refuse to come back. They keep walking away from the Lord. God has ordained that the Babylonian Empire would now come and they have smashed the city of Jerusalem and they've smashed into a pile of rubble and ashes ordained by God as his judgment. Now what they've also done is that the Babylonians have taken the brightest and the best of Judah and Jerusalem and taken them back to Babylon to sort of help facilitate their kingdom right around uh, the known world at that particular time. They were the superpower at that time. Israel, at this point in time, think that either God is dead or he's he's a prisoner to the Babylonian gods. That's what they think about God at this time, because they think, how could God allow this to happen? They didn't see all the warnings that God had sent for them. All of this judgment on Israel is part of God's purposes and God's plans, ultimately to bring about the Messiah, the Saviour, who will reconcile sinful humanity back to God. This is all part of his plans through the nation of Israel. Even though they're in this sort of rebellious stage, he's still using that to fulfil his purposes and plans. So Daniel writes for us to see that God isn't dead as much as Israel thought he was. God isn't dead and that he continues to rule his world, glorifying himself and bringing about his purpose. That's why Daniel writes for us today to see what God's doing. So here's where we're going to head as we think about this passage today. God is a holy and just judge, and he will give everybody exactly what we deserve as our rightful Lord. He's a just judge, and he'll give everybody exactly what we deserve. Nothing more, nothing less, exactly what we deserve. Okay, let's, let's tell the story here that gets us to this point where God uh, begins to execute this judgment. What does uh, King Belshazzar do? Well, he calls for this massive party. Uh, what did it say? Like a thousand of his lords and his wives and his concubines. He's, he's gathered all the A-listers, as it were, of Babylon and called them in with all of his wives and concubines. And the wine begins to flow freely. It's a quite a celebration. It's quite a feast. Uh, Belshazzar's got the best drop that he can find in Babylon and he's pouring it out by the bucket loads here at this feast. And as you do in these party-type atmospheres... People want to take it up another level, don't they? How can we enjoy this more? How can we actually get this feast going a bit more? So they want to take it up another level to show his pride and pomp as the king. Uh, Really, this is a celebration about Belshazzar here at this point. So to take it up a level, what he does is he calls for the sacred cups the king Nebuchadnezzar had removed from Jerusalem's temple, the temple of the Lord, back when he uh, smashed it uh, probably 60, 70 years earlier. And the whole idea is let's bring these gold cups, these sacred cups in, and let's whoop it up just a bit more by drinking our wine now out of these sacred cups. Not just the Babylonian cups, but let's do that. Now, as they're drinking the wine out of these golden cups, then the king begins to praise the gods of Babylon, the false gods of Babylon, the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Now, the immediate context here... Sometimes you read Daniel and think, is this sort of one event happening after another event? Probably between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5, could be maybe 30 or 40 years of time. So the immediate context here, sort of 30 or 40 years later from chapter 4, 
is that the Medes army, the army of the Medes, is only 50 miles away from Babylon and they've got Babylon directly in their sights. They've actually overrun a whole range of towns and now Babylon's next in line to be overthrown by the uh, Medes army. So as they drink this wine from their sacred cups and they praise with the false gods of Babylon, they do this thinking thinking that they are secure in the gods of Babylon, that actually the Medes will never get into Babylon. They can't get it because our gods will protect us. So the whole idea of this is they're thinking that these gods will protect us. Not the God of Israel, not the true God of the world, but the gods, the false gods of Babylon. So that's in many contexts. This army is not very far away. You'll never get into Babylon. Let's have a party and know that we're going to be safe. So in that moment, the sacred cups... The cups out of the temple from Jerusalem, they're drinking wine at them. In that moment, a human hand appears on the wall with a message that nobody can decipher. The king and his people are scared witless as they see this hand. You can put that image up too if you want, um, Jerry. Now that's a painting by Rembrandt. And that's King Belshazzar there. And that's the writing on the wall, if you can sort of make out the detail. That was Rembrandt painted that years ago. In verse 6... It tells us there that his knees knocked together and his colour changed. Don't you love the Bible? You sort of imagine, yeah, the knees are shaking there. It's a picture of us, he's scared witless. You can go back to that photo again, uh, that uh, painting again, to you if you like. Here's the picture. That's in this celebration and this hand appears on the wall and just begins to write. Now, it's any wonder he's scared. You'd be scared out of your wits too, wouldn't you? I would be. Imagine if a hand just turned up then and started to write something. It would all just run out the door real quick like. This is what's happened. He calls in all the astrologers, the enchanters, all the people, the wise men of, of Babylon, but no one can read this. Ah, Daniel, he's done this before. Not so much reading the writing the wall, but actually deciphering dreams. Let's bring him in. And they do bring him in. But here's the point of this action, of what's taking place to get to this point. Here's the point. What King Belshazzar has done here is just sheer arrogance and mockery of the one true God of the universe in taking the sacred cups, filling with wine, and then praising the gods of gold and silver and iron and stone and bronze. It's just sheer mockery and pushback and uh, arrogance towards the one true God. To do that is like shaking your fist at God. It really is. You might think, oh, they're just, no, it's more than just a party because they're praising these false gods and they will protect us. It's like they're shaking their fist at God. Daniel's called in and he calls it like this when he's talking to the king in verses 22 and 23. He says this, And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against There's the opposition to the Lord against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of this house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron, wood and stone, which which do not see or know. Which do not see or know. What's Belshazzar? Well, he's certainly not humble. He's arrogant, arrogant towards God. He hasn't brought himself low before God. 
He's actually lifted himself up against God. And when he does that, like I say, he's shaking his fist at the Lord of heaven in opposition. In sheer arrogance. Pride-filled arrogance. Now, he's not only arrogant, he's foolishly arrogant. If I could use this word, he's stupid. Really stupid. Daniel goes through this whole story here, Belshazzar, telling him what happened in the past to King Nebuchadnezzar about how when he rose up in pride, when he rose up in sort of this arrogance before the Lord, how God humbled him, reduced him to, as it were, the mind of an ox, eating grass out in the field. We looked at that a few weeks ago in Daniel chapter 4. And then when he finally come to and God revealed to him the truth that God is the Lord of the heavens and the earth, he humbled himself before the Lord and recognised that. And he actually wrote Daniel chapter 4 as a public statement of that whole event in his life. Daniel tells all that to Belshazzar, but look at the end of verse 22 where he says this, though you knew all this, you knew it already. You actually had a public record here of what the previous king had been through. This is stupidly foolish arrogance. You knew it. Really what this is, it's an indication of the human heart in its arrogance towards God. It's actually a blinding arrogance for us. When we get arrogant, we get blind towards the truth. Let me share with you a little story about myself. Back in my teenage days, I can remember being asked to do some tractor work around the orchard. And I was warned about a very deep bog hole down the back of the orchard. Not to go into that bog hole. Now, when you're a teenage person, you don't tell them something like that, okay? Because it doesn't become a warning, it becomes a challenge. There's a deep bog hole here. It's like a red rag to a bull when you're a teenager. So I'm warned, don't go in there because you'll get bogged, whatever. Well, I see it as a challenge and I say, bring it on. Well, I took the tractor in the back and I took that challenge on. I saw that bog hole, that if I just go at it this line and this quick, I'll get through this. I'll show these guys how it's done. What do you think happened? I didn't get through. I got bogged right down the back of the orchard and I had this massive walk of shame all the way back down to the workshop. And I, where's the tractor? Oh, it's down there. It's just arrogance, teenage arrogance. No, I know better than you guys. I can do this, but it's blinding, isn't it? it just, I was told, don't do it. But I know better than that. Arrogantly, I'll go down there and do this. That's what arrogance does. It blinds us to the truth and the warnings. Now, getting bogged is a low-level arrogance, of course. I mean, that's got consequences. A fair bit of shame that day, and they kept ribbing me for the few weeks afterwards. And I, I did try that hole again a few weeks later. I got through it, I think, the second time. But anyway, the stakes are much higher, though, when we are arrogant towards God. Much, much higher. It's more than just a walk of shame from the back of the orchard to the workshop. Look at how Daniel puts it to Belshazzar at the end of verse 23. He says this at the end. You've praised the false gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone, but, but the God in whose hand is your breath, every breath you take, Belshazzar, it's not about you, it comes from God, the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, You've not honoured. In other words, the God who gives you every breath, 
the God who's given you every good thing in this world, the God who you depend on for everything, Belshazzar, you've not honoured him. You've not recognised him. You've blinded yourself to him. In your arrogance, you said, no, it's not about the creator of the universe. Belshazzar says, I create my own destiny. It's all about me. I can write my own story. I'm the king. It's about me. You've blinded yourself. You haven't honoured this God. What is that? That is just sheer stupidity again. It's prideful arrogance at the God of the universe, Belshazzar's creator, the one who gives him every breath. And if the truth be known, if we think about that, all of humanity is somewhere on the scale of arrogance when it comes to the way we think about God. Now, surely Belshazzar might be a bit further up there, but I think all of us are somewhere on this scale of arrogance. Do we each day genuinely thank God for being alive? Do we thank God for every mouthful of food and drink of water we have? Do we just sort of every day take that for granted, or do we actually recognise God who gives that to us? There's a level of arrogance for all of us find ourselves on that scale. What's God going to do in this situation? How's he going to respond to this arrogance? Well, God must rightly judge all arrogance and rejection of him. God is not only our creator, he's also our just judge as well. What does God do? Well, he sends his human hand to write on the wall at Belshazzar's party, where all of a sudden I think the wine didn't quite taste as good when they saw that hand writing on the wall. They lost interest in that. But here's God's judgment in verses 24 and 28. Then from his presence the hand was sent... And the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel and pasian. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom, Belshazzar, and it's brought to an end. 27, tekel, you have been weighed in the balances, Belshazzar, and you've come up short. You've been found wanting. 28, Perez, your kingdom is divided and it's given to the Medes and the Persians. In short, for Belshazzar, it's over. It's over. It is game over. This party has come to an end. Your arrogance about me is about to come crashing down in a screaming heap. You've been pushing back against me. You've been lifting yourself up against me in all sorts of arrogance over decades and decades. But it's over. Judgment is coming. Now, it's really interesting when we think about God as a judge. It's sort of like we don't want to go there, isn't it? We just think, oh, I feel a bit uncomfortable when I hear about God sort of being a judge. I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't give us the best image of God, does it? If we think about God as our judge, surely we can talk about other things that are more pleasant about him. And after all, aren't we a society and a culture that's trying to just see the good in everybody and not actually judge the wrong? We sort of feel a bit uncomfortable, thinking, oh, I'm not so sure about that. God is judge. Well, let me put it to you that justice and judging is a very good thing and a moral virtue that God has created in us in his image. We need to be people who are able to judge rightly and we need to be people who actually have justice in our society. Laurel and I actually went and saw a movie this week called The Sound of Freedom. Has anybody else seen that movie? A number of you have? I highly recommend you go and see that movie. 
It's a great movie. Uh, What is it? It's a movie bringing to our attention uh, the trafficking of child sex slaves, which is at at the moment in out-of-control numbers around the world. It's a real eye-opener to what's actually taking place around the world right now as we speak. What happens here? Children from these third-world countries are lured by lies and deceptions, and then they're kidnapped by these traffickers, and then they're just handed on down to pedophiles to just be used and abused as they like. Now, when you go watch that film, it just gets on the inside of you. Think, what the heck is going on here when you see that? So what do we think when we watch that and we hear that? That's unjust. That's not right. Those evil people should not be carrying out these evil actions upon these children. That's not right. They should be brought to justice. They should be brought to judgment. Justice and judgment is a really good thing. We know it's a good thing. And we know it about God that he's our perfect creator and our perfect judge and he administers perfect justice. And if we're really honest, we also should believe that arrogance towards that creator should be judged as well. Imagine this with me for a moment in the sense of arrogance. Imagine you are brought to a town that's been created and owned by one person. This one person owns this town, creates this town, and you are now placed into that town. The person there freely supplies everything you need. All the food you want, you go down to the local supermarket and you take what you want as much as you like. It's free of charge. It's all provided for by the owner of this town. This owner also of this town provides all the housing you need. Everybody has a comfortable bed. Everybody has adequate housing. There is no shortage of that, and it's all free of charge. This same person also makes sure there's employment for everybody in this town. Everybody has work, everybody has a job, and there's also plenty of leisure and pleasure activities to give you a break from work as well. The creator of this town also gives you the best of health care. Free. Free. You just come and take of it. The creator of this town, who's created all this and owns this, all he asks us just live in peace and joy and harmony and thankfulness with each other. Just do that. Well, in this town, the Creator also lives with these people. Lives amongst these people. They all know the Creator of the town. They all see him. But nobody speaks to him. They all avoid him. They walk past him and they just sort of look the other way. They don't put their eyes upon the person who's freely provided all of these things. They pay no regard to him. The creator of this town sits in the main square that is built for these people. He sits there and he watches them fighting with each other. He sits there and watches them bragging with each other about how big their house is and how much they've achieved in life. He sits there and he watches them stealing from each other as well, even though he freely provides everything for them in this town. This creator of this town sits there and listens to them, their conversations about how great they are and how much they've achieved in life when he's freely given them everything. In this town also there are good citizens, good citizens, and they keep to themselves and they live a very content life and a good life, but they too also walk right past the creator and owner of this town and don't give him the time of day, even though these good citizens have everything provided for him by him. Now, wouldn't you say that's arrogance? 
just arrogantly walking past the one who's provided all these things? Surely that's arrogant. Isn't that unjust as well? Shouldn't that be judged? I mean, everything's given and there's just no thankfulness whatsoever for that? I think the answer is a resounding yes. Well, you see, at a whole range of levels, we're just like Belshazzar. God's created this world, he's given us everything, yet in our natural state, we just don't even think about God. We don't even think about where this has come from. We just expect it. Very unthankful, very arrogant. It's ignoring the God who's created us. It's ignoring the God who sustains our life, just like Belshazzar has, and given us every breath. It's arrogant. God alone then reserves the right to judge us. He's our creator. He alone is perfectly just and will give us exactly what we deserve. God won't be bribed. God won't be hoodwinked. God alone is pure and holy and all his ways are just. God's judgment really is a prominent theme right throughout the Bible. It's not just poked in a corner here and there and you just find it popping up every now and again. It's prominent right through the Bible. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word they speak. People will give an account on that day of judgment. At the end of our life, we've breathed their last, we stand before the Lord, and we'll give an account of everything I've said. Why did did I say that? Why did I do this? Because judgment won't miss a thing. There's nowhere to hide anything when it comes from God because he's everywhere. He sees it all. I think one of the reasons we don't get God's judgment rightly is because we don't see his holiness clearly. We don't see this holy, glorious, pure, perfect God. So therefore we don't actually understand, we don't get the, the judgment side right either. We think, well, surely he can just sweep a few of these things under the carpet and just bypass it all. No. A holy judge, a holy God doesn't. He must justly deal with everything. Well, Belshazzar received God's judgment that night. Look in verse 30 and 31. That very night... Literally put the sacred cups down, went back to his bedroom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. As I said, they were only about 50 miles away there and they kept coming in. The first person they went for was the king and they took him out, executing God's judgment. Question we ask ourselves, now, what is God doing here as we think about this narrative? As we think about Daniel chapter 5. Well, he's showing Israel that despite where they are and what they think, he's still in control. He still rules. He's still acting justly. He's still the judge. And he's judging all those who are arrogant towards him. And the king of Babylon is about to crash because of his arrogance towards God. He and they are getting exactly what they deserve for living arrogantly before the Lord. 
Daniel's showing us that. He said God is a, a God of his word. He's pronounced judgment. It's happening. At the same time, though, as that's taking place, God is still bringing his Messiah, the Saviour, who will reconcile us back to God. God is still bringing that through the people of Judah, even though they're in exile. And we know here that the Messiah, the Son of God, is also going to be a king, a perfect king, unlike King Belshazzar, who's full of arrogance. Jesus, the Son of God, is a king, but a very different king than King Belshazzar. This king, Jesus, will come in humility to bear God's judgment upon our arrogance in our place. Isaiah 53 puts it like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, not some, we have turned everyone to his own way, to our own ways of arrogance. We've turned in our own ways. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him. This uh, verse is about Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. The Lord has laid on him what? The iniquity of us all, the prideful arrogance that we're all guilty of at some degree. So Jesus, the perfect king, unlike King Belshazzar, has taken God's right judgment directed towards our arrogance upon himself. Why? So that we don't have to go through that judgment and we can know the grace of God when we don't deserve it. What is it? That is the divine favour and love of God through Jesus Christ on our behalf, taking that judgment in our place bearing the uh, just deserves of being arrogant people. Jesus does that on our behalf. Now there's two responses here as we think about that today. We think about what God's showing us and we think about what Jesus has done for us. There's two responses here. If you're already trusting in Jesus as your saviour, then knowing the judgment of God will actually help us to live a sober-minded life. Not to be flippant about life, not to waste our lives here, just absolutely filled up and overflowing with leisure and pleasure and just cruising through life. There's nothing wrong with being people of leisure and pleasure, but when it's just dominating our life, we get slack, we get, ca- we get casual. With God's judgment in view, knowing it's coming for all of us, we'll use our time and our talents and our treasures in God-glorifying ways. We'll see that life is about what I can do now to honour this great and glorious God who sent his son Jesus to take my judgment in my place. We'll live lives thankful, lives of praise and worship through every aspect of our life, knowing this judgment is coming. Also this, with God's judgment of you and knowing all those who live in arrogance will end up just like King Belshazzar, it'll do this. We'll use that motivation of judgment to come to keep an urgent focus on the mission that is around about us. The mission of the lost people in the Shepherdon area. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, do I seek to persuade others. When we, when we have that understanding, there's an urgency that now comes. We live here in Shep, 70,000 people within this sort of 25, 30k radius, probably 67, 68,000 people do not know Jesus. 
There's a mission there. There's an urgency as well because we know judgment is coming. Family, friends, workmates, schoolmates, you have, we've all got connections that we can actually be bringing the good news of Jesus to so they too will not have to go through this judgment. They can see what Jesus has done by his grace to save us from that judgment, knowing it's coming. Here's another response. Maybe you haven't put your trust in Jesus today. Maybe you're thinking, I've been living arrogantly. I don't really want to admit it, but maybe I've been living arrogantly. Not understanding who God is or knowing who he is, but actually not giving him the time of day. Well, you and I absolutely deserve God's righteous judgment. Our arrogance depends, uh, uh, condemns us before a holy God, but God sends his one and only son to take that judgment for us. God asks us now to believe in who Jesus is, to put our trust in his death that has paid the price of our sin, taken that judgment in our place, and to turn from that sin and no longer live an arrogant life towards the Lord, but trusting in what God has done for us. Maybe that's the first time for you today. You can say, I believe this. It's true. Jesus has taken that judgment in my place. Just to wrap it up here, there's, there's a contrast between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar listened to God and he humbled himself. But chapter 5, King Belshazzar didn't. Don't be like Belshazzar. Because he knew it all. He'd heard it a thousand times. He knew what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Yet he just walked away in arrogance. Maybe you're a teenager today and maybe your mum and dad have told you a lot of times. It's all right, mum and dad, I know what I'm doing. I'll go do my own thing. Belshazzar knew it all. And he walked away from the warnings that God gave him and suffer the consequences of judgment. Don't be like Belshazzar. Listen to what God's saying. He's calling us today to come to Christ, find that he's taken the judgment for our place, so that we can receive salvation and forgiveness and live life now, not of arrogance, but humble obedience before the Lord, experiencing his joy and his love and his forgiveness. Don't walk away when you know it all. Listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can uh, come around your word. We thank you for Daniel chapter 5. Lord, justice, judgment is a good thing. It's a good thing, Lord. We thank you that you are the judge of all the earth and you will do right. You are perfect. You are just in every way. Evil needs to be judged. And Lord, we also understand that we deserve your judgment but out of grace and mercy you send your son to take that judgment in our place God we can never ever fully comprehend the grace and the love you've shown us through what Jesus has done for us but I pray Holy Spirit just open up the eyes of your heart just a little bit more to see that grace today Help us to live lives of worship in thankfulness for that grace. Lord, for those, for those who perhaps again have heard it again, 
please, Lord, for those who are not trusting you, don't let them be like Belshazzar and just walk away. Even though he knew it all, he went and did what he wanted to do in complete arrogance before the Lord. God, I pray, please would you open up those hearts and open up those eyes today so they would truly see Christ and they would come and put their trust in him and they would turn away from their sins and know what it is to be in relationship with our loving Lord, I pray. Do that work, we ask, Holy Spirit. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well. 